Well, good morning again. Our text today comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. You can find it on the Black Pew Bibles on page 958. I'll also have it up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. This is an easy, straightforward text, right? The day of the Lord will be like a thief and a newborn. So remember... Your children, and it's daytime, wake up, don't get drunk, put on some armor, and build some stuff. I mean, like, talk about mixed metaphors, right? We joked about Paul earlier in the series, and in the same sentence he said he was both like a baby and a mother. This is taking it to a whole new level. And what an easy subject to take on. Judgment. The day of the Lord. There's one that has zero confusion around it, right? Nothing at all. You may have seen uh, trailers for a new show on Amazon Prime called Good Omens, which I don't know anything about other than from the trailer. I gathered that it seems to be the story of um, a demon and an angel who are best friends, and they are trying to stop the end of the world coming because I think he likes tea a lot or something like that. I mean, it's just spot on scripturally, just spot on. So today's text is just going to be super straightforward, right? And we haven't even mentioned the fact that this is like the day of the Lord is supposedly like a thief. I mean, are we setting up a Kevin McAllister, home alone, sort of, you know, are we supposed to say, this is my house, I have to defend it from judgment day moment? I mean, what in the world is going on in this text? And all jokes aside, it's kind of funny. But the answer actually is kind of straightforward. Well, we need to remember what we're doing, what's happening. We are continuing in our study of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And this is a letter that was written by Paul to encourage this little church about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He had been with them for a little time before he was forced to leave. And this letter is his encouragement as their pastor, as the one who brought the good news in the first place. And for the last four weeks, we spent um, uh, studying the second half of this book. And Paul has turned now, and he's turned to encourage them 
to continue to grow more and more in their trust as they follow Jesus. It's about discipleship. And so this morning's discipleship topic today is being ready for Jesus to return. And Paul is responding to the fears that are in the church in Thessalonica. They were nervous, frightened, or faint-hearted at the prospect of the day of the Lord. The news that one day God will return and He will bring His wise judgment over creation. Now there was speculation then, and there is speculation and confusion now. Some Christians seem to obsess over the end times, while others are on the opposite end of the spectrum and bury their head in the sand. And no, we're not doing a whole series to answer questions about the end times. There's a lot to talk about. We're just hearing the heart of God through His master discipler, Paul, answer a very, very real question. How do we get ready? How do we get ready? And the answer for the Thessalonians is the same as it is for us today. Live into the light of the hope in which you were called. And there's three things that stick out from our text this morning, and we're going to hit them one at a time. And the first is, we anticipate Jesus' return at an unanticipated time. Secondly, the gospel changes how we look at judgment. But thirdly, we have a part to play. Dealing with the first one, the Bible has a lot to say about the day of the Lord. We see in Acts 17.30 this, God has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. The day of the Lord is referring to that day when Jesus will return. God will judge all things. We're in a very real sense. History. His story. Will come to completion. The day of the Lord is where Jesus will return to bring all things to completion and recreate all things. The world as it stands now will not go on forever. Jesus will come again, not this time to suffer, but this time to reign. And His coming will settle the future for all people. This is the day of the Lord, a day of judgment. And there was rightly some apprehension about this coming day. The prophet Amos said in in the Old Testament, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. That's quite an image. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. The idea of judgment is quite scary when we know that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one, not anyone, is a good enough person. Paul has clearly taught that this little church should expect that Jesus will return, even in the last passage that we studied last week when he was responding to a death that had happened. Paul had shared that Jesus will one day come back. He just told them this. So it's totally normal that the follow-up question would be, well, I'm frightened by the picture of that. So can you help me get ready? When is this going to happen? Right? Because that's the first way we get ready for something. 
We say, we put it on the calendar to get ready for it. You make a plan to get ready for it. The judgment day for how well a soldier stays in shape is our physical fitness test. That's judgment day. And in order to get ready for the PT test, the very first thing I do is put it on the calendar. So I make a plan and get ready. Next week is too soon to get ready. It ain't going to happen. And it's only logical that the Thessalonian church wanted to know about times and dates. Verse 1. But this is also a major mistake. Paul says, I don't even need to tell you. We do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And this is the first of two illustrations that Paul shares about how the day of the Lord will come. And the first is like a thief. Now let's be clear. I think this gets confused a lot. Jesus is not like a thief, like when he's not like a burglar. He's saying the day of the Lord, the way in which it will come, will come like a thief comes. Undoubtedly, Paul shared Jesus' known teaching from Matthew 24. Hear this. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, and he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That was the teaching that Jesus had given to the disciples, that undoubtedly Paul had passed on. They already knew. We don't need to tell you. You know it's going to come at an unanticipated foretime. I did some research this past week. I spent some time on YouTube watching uh, some bungling burglar videos. Um, it's a great watch after cat videos. It's excellent. A great way to spend your time. It's for research, the sake of research. But any burglar who is worth his salt knows one thing. You don't let people know before you come. Right? Like that's like rule numero uno. They come suddenly. So Paul is saying Jesus will come suddenly like how a thief comes. It's sudden and any attempt to try to figure out exactly what time and date is not only fruitless, but it's also disregarding the exact warnings of Jesus and the rest of Scripture. But he also says, Paul uses a second illustration, he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But he also says, it will be like a mother going into labor. Now, our firstborn, Ella, was almost born on the campus of Gordon College. We, we were living there. I was working as a resident director at Gordon, so we lived in an apartment right on campus for five years. And um, for your first child, you, you're trying to figure things out. You know, you'd have no idea what to expect at all. Um, and everyone told us a, a really great piece of advice. You know, you wait as long as you can before you go to the hospital. You don't want to show up at the hospital and wait for 24 hours. Great piece of advice, except when your wife is like the toughest person ever. And we showed up at the birth center, and the midwife comes to us as we walk in the door, and she looks at Leah and she says, you're going to meet your baby in 15 minutes. You think you learned from your mistake the first time. So when Amelia was born, I got the call from Leah I was in New Hampshire watching a Patriots game, full confession, and she gave me the call and said, I think you should come home soon. Labor comes on suddenly, right? Like this is what we know. And so is Paul just saying the same thing? You know, labor is sudden, thieves come suddenly. And I think there's also a second side to this. You see, because 
labor comes on suddenly, but you also kind of know that it's going to happen most of the time, right? For most women, you know you're pregnant before you go into the delivery room. And in the same way, Paul is saying, the church is pregnant with the knowledge that the day of the Lord is coming. So we do anticipate it. We don't live ignorantly unaware that it will happen. But when exactly it will happen is not for us to know. So the question remains, how do we get ready? How do we get ready? And to this, Paul has two responses. And the first is really, really important. I need you to hear it this morning. You are ready. You are ready. Because the gospel changes how we look at judgment. Paul returns to the thief analogy in verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. How does the coming day of the Lord surprise someone? Paul continues with the same analogy. And a thief surprises you because you are vulnerable. Have you ever noticed that pretty much every scary movie happens at night? Like that mask doesn't seem to work as well during the day. It's more comedy at that point. Why is that? Why is is it so scary at night? Because you can't see things. Because things are a little bit more hidden from you. There's something frightening about, about darkness. And night is even more vulnerable when we are asleep. Right? Sleep is like one of the ultimate ways of just letting go, resting, sitting back, closing your eyes. It's a vulnerable feeling. So when we read Paul kind of going off left field for a second, you can see where he's talking about It's vulnerable. Verse 6, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But perhaps the most vulnerable place to be is to be drunk. This isn't a passage that teaches on drunkenness. Let's be clear about that. Definitely not a passage that teaches on the disease of alcoholism. It's simply an illustration and an analogy for being vulnerable. And he's saying the intentional decision to lose control of your senses, to numb yourself when you get drunk, that would definitely leave you feeling surprised. This is dangerously vulnerable. And if the day of the Lord is one to be feared, if God's coming to judge you and all mankind according to His perfect justice, Can't you see how the picture of being asleep, of of being in darkness, of being drunk would be quite frightening? Maybe you remember this joke um, a comedian told a handful of years ago and it turned into a bumper sticker and a meme. Jesus is coming. Everyone look busy. You can buy the t-shirts online. It's great. And hidden behind this joke was this, this picture of some sort of scary, spooky Surprise, Jesus! Jesus is watching you. How is he going to find you when you come back? And when he sees you, what you've been up to? Is he going to do the Jesus face palm? You know? Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's what they're doing. Look busy. This is the picture we have of the coming judgment. And it's funny because it links into a little bit of what people perceive, at least, to be truth. But Paul says, though thieves come at night. And though the picture in the Old Testament was of judgment coming in darkness, you do not need to fear. Saying that's not who you are. Our identity means everything has changed. 
The Old Testament was in very many ways the period of darkness. It was before the light of the truth of God's rescue had come fully. And there were glimmers of hope throughout the Old Testament. Glimmers of hope peeking through the darkness. But to the people of God who didn't fully know Jesus, the idea of the coming judgment of the Lord was terrifying. But Jesus. The Gospels have a lot to say about darkness and what Jesus has done. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you know Jesus, the light has popped on. That doesn't capture it at all. If you know Jesus, it's like 2 p.m. in late July. You are basking in the sun. And we wait for the day of the Lord, like at 2 p.m. in late July, someone comes knocking on the door and you say, I'm so glad to see you. I've been waiting for you. This is what Paul is saying. Remember who you are. You are not one who should look at the coming day of the Lord, the day of judgment, and say, when is it coming? I'm so worried. How will God look at me? How will He respond to me when my case is set before Him and it's my moment for justice? It's daytime because you already know the verdict. You are children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. And hear this, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. God has already vindicated and acquitted His Son through the resurrection. So if you are united in relationship with Jesus, you already know placing of your faith and trust and relationship with Him, you already know the verdict. What is true of Jesus is true for you. And when your case is called and you stand before the Father, the promise of Scripture is that Jesus stands on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf. He stands in our place. This is the message of grace You might be saying, by all accounts, my life has fallen far short of just and right living that I know God has called me into. But this is what it means to be united with Christ. I have this picture in my mind of Jesus so wrapping you in His embrace, so holding tightly to you in His embrace, that as the Father looks down You can't separate the two. And he says, this is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, you are children of God. And you are children of light. And you face the coming day of the Lord with eyes wide open. That is who you are. The Gospel changes how we look at judgment. And this is the picture that begins to emerge. This is the hope 
in which you were called. But we have a part to play. And this is where we're going to see, once again, Paul's concern for discipleship, for encouraging this little church to grow more and more, trusting Jesus more and more. And I hope that we hear it this morning too. His concern is that we also don't just passively continue living in whatever place that God's grace found us in. When you first meet Jesus, two things happen simultaneously. You, you recognize and know his love and his embrace, but you also get a deep picture of your own brokenness before a holy God. And what happens in relationship with Jesus is that you begin to see his commands throughout Scripture are not just the, the capricious dictates of an aloof God, but they're actually the structure of a love relationship lived out with the living God. You begin to see that God loves you so, so much that He not only declares you justified, but He loves you so much that He calls you up and out and forward and awake from your brokenness and slumber. Life as a disciple of Jesus, awaiting His return, means you live more and more into the light of the hope. And this is a process, though. And sometimes we don't live as if our hope is secure. I want to share with you a story. Sam was adopted by the Jones family when she was 13 years old. She had spent the better part of the first 13 years of her life in and out of foster care and under the custody of the state. And she had learned pretty quickly on that in order to survive, you don't get too comfortable where you are. No matter where she went, whether it was good or whether it was abusive, she always kept a bag packed. Always kept her bag packed, ready to go. So Sam was really surprised when she was taken in by the Jones family and she found herself loving this family. She found herself more and more falling in love with this family, recognizing that she was identified and loved as a daughter by this family. And she didn't show up, but she was elated when she was adopted by this family. She loved her parents. She didn't want anything to change. This was her new home. But one day when her mother was going through a room, cleaning up some different things, she found a bag packed as if she was ready to run away. And Sam hadn't thought twice about the fact that she had kept the bag packed. She hadn't thought twice about it. She had no desire to leave. But somewhere along the way, it had become so deeply ingrained that even though she knew her new home was a lasting one, she still had baggage that didn't match how she really felt. Sometimes we don't live as if our hope is secure. You are no longer living in darkness. You are adopted children. You are heirs of the living God, children of light. That is true. That is unchanging no matter what. Nothing can separate us from that love. But does your life match that knowledge? Do your bags reflect that knowledge, that reality that God has called you His child and His heir? Does our life match the identity that is forever stamped upon us? This is the part we have to play. The light has come. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned. So then, let us be sober. 
And since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Our part is simple. It can feel sometimes difficult, but it is simple. How do we live ready for Jesus' return? We live into the light of the hope in which we were called. How you put on faith and love. You wear hope, the hope of salvation as a helmet. You wake up every day remembering who you are and more importantly, what God has called you into. He's called you into his light. And when I say light, that's a word that maybe means nothing, but I'm talking about open relationship, communion with the living God. You have communion with the Father through the work of Jesus, sealed by the the gift of the Holy Spirit. An army chaplain mentor of mine, he gave me this piece of advice, and I think it lands well for, for what we're talking about this morning. He said, always put your cross on first. You've seen the army uniform, you know that we've, we've really latched on Velcro. We love Velcro. I don't know why. It's very noisy. But we wear Velcro. And so what you do is you have your rank, your name, U.S. Army, you've got the U.S. flag. It's all Velcro. You put it on. So when you put it through the wash, you've got to put it back on. And so what he'd say is, the first thing you do is you put on the cross. Because as a chaplain, that's an identifier that I have. We wear a cross on our uniform. He said, before you put anything else on, you put on the cross. Our part is to remember who we are every day and let that soak into every moment of our days. So I think there's two things we can take away from this text this morning. Do you know about that day? I think there's a a theological takeaway for us, an understanding about who God is. When I say that word theological, that's what I mean. An understanding about who God is. Knowing about the judgment. Correct understanding of Jesus' return and how we stand expectantly, even joyfully. It changes things. This is important because, not just because misinformation is out there and there's a lot of it. But this is important because as you wake up every day remembering who you are. His son, his daughter, knowing you are in the light of God's love, you can actually stand ready to witness to that. And people have fears about what's going to happen. I also think there's a discipleship concern. Do we live into the light? God has rescued you, adopted you, and called you His own. And sometimes a sermon can say something simple like this. But what, what does live into the light even mean? Like, what do I do with that? And that's where I hear Paul saying, don't worry about when he's coming and get on with living in relationship with the living God as his child. Don't let anything come before that. It's like putting on your, the cross on the uniform first. You need to remember before your parents gave you your name, before I was Jacob, before you were a teacher or clam digger, before you were a recovering alcoholic or an addict, God loved you. He was calling to you. He died for you. He made you His child. That is who you are. Before anything else, And when we go home, 
We don't just read scriptures or, or act kindly or, or try to be merciful in order to be better people. We do this because you're children of the living God and our Father wants us to. And that's what a love relationship with Him looks like. So we remember that and then we wake up each day putting that on first. And we ask God to help us see where we're still holding on to baggage. Are you afraid at the thought of God standing as judge over you? Afraid that you haven't broken a habit of sin because you feel like you fail God? Because Paul is saying you don't need to fear that day. In fact, we long for the day of God's coming judgment because we know what type of judge He is. He is good. It's a day where He's coming to right every wrong to heal every wound, to break every chain, to to bind up every wound. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you stand ready. So I I don't think we need to go home and put together a tinfoil helmet and write hope of salvation on it and actually wear it. So that might be a very practical thing to do, but I don't think you necessarily need to do that. But I do think you can practically start to go home and think through, how do I remind myself every single day? How do I start my day by remembering who I am, a child of God. It could be a sticky note that just says, child of God, put it on your mirror, put it on the coffee pot, whatever the first thing is, coffee pot, that's the first thing for me. Pick up a morning spiritual discipline, a practice. Find something that reminds you to put on hope as a helmet. To put on that cross. To unpack your bags you can remember to live every moment in the light of the hope in which Jesus has called you. So how do we get ready? That's what the Thessalonians are asking. You are ready if you have met Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, the living God. If you've said, God, I need you. You are a child of God. Nothing should surprise you, so put on the hope put on the cross, unpack your bags, and live into the light of the hope in which you are called so that our lives can reflect that we actually long for the coming day of the Lord. And our souls cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Heal this place. Wipe up our tears. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we are dumbfounded and awestruck at your grace. Who are we to be so loved, to be called your children, and yet it has nothing to do with us? It's who you are. You are so loving and so gracious that you would chase us to any end of the world. God, you are so loving. And so we long for that day. God, as we stand and forget your grace, as we stand and forget how much you love us, 
and we begin to believe the lies of, of sin, begin to believe the lies that it's too strong or holds on to us, God. I pray that your grace would once again pierce through our blindness. Remind us each and every day to know who you are. The God who loves us so much. God, you are so good to us. We keep saying that over and over again this morning. You're so good to us. We praise you. And even at the thought of revelation, of your coming, of the day of the Lord, we rejoice and we say, we love you, Jesus. We want you to come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Bind up our wounds, even now, Lord. We recognize your presence in this place, but we long for it to come in fullness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.